the Augustin Hozinga Show with your host Augustin Hozinga. Smack the shit out your bitch ass midget girlfriend, nigga. <laughs> Welcome back to the Agostino Zynga Show with I, your host, Agostino Zynga, and this is episode number 680. This is 680 of the Agostino Zynga Show with I, your host, Agostino Zynga, and I hope you are well wherever this podcast is finding you. I hope you are doing swimmingly. How am I? All good, all things considered. All good, all things considered. I've just finished or wrapped up watching West Ham win 2-1, 2-1 against Fiorentina in the Europa League Conference Final, the Europa Conference Final, sorry, um, as it's been known now. And I have to admit, even if I'm not a West Ham fan, the fact that I live um, quite close to the stadium and the fact that I was kind of brought up in the area um, and the fact that I have a lot of family, a lot of friends who are closely associated with the club and the fact that the club essentially is kind of ingrained in the area that I'm in and they do a really good job of kind of ingratiating themselves with the local community, whether it's with the community clubs, whether it's with the outreach programs, whether it's the jobs in the stadiums, whether it's people being able to play for the youth teams, whatever it may be, West Ham is a real integral part of my kind of side of East London so it's amazing to see a club around the corner kind of do so well especially when you think about how their season went the actual season in the Premier League for West Ham wasn't the greatest they started off with high hopes they signed a lot of really um, you know what you'd imagine would be difference maker players who should be able to get them a bit further up in the league maybe get them a top 10 finish maybe even a top 6 finish and that didn't happen throughout the entire season there were some murmurs some rumours about David Moyes potentially being fired along the way because the style of football wasn't the greatest despite all the amazing talented players that they had and you know just the entertainment factor that you come to expect when you see West Ham play wasn't necessarily there and there was a lot of pressure on flipping West Ham to get rid of um, David Moyes mid-season and I think if David Moyes would have got sacked mid-season I don't think he would have complained I really don't think he would have had a cause for a complaint but they did well they stuck by him um, they resisted the urge to sack him and I think that's usually the best way to go especially if you're not in danger of getting relegated um, it probably is best to kind of just hang on to your manager and kind of ride it out especially someone like David Moyes I think he was you know he he deserved to see out the season um, no one really deserves that but I think in his position he kind of did considering what he did for the club um and then to kind of go from there and now look at them now look at them now they're in a you know a european cup final they end up winning their first european trophy in god knows when their first trophy in god knows when and it completely galvanizes a club and completely turns around their fortunes that's the real crazy thing that i've kind of 
figured out and kind of come to terms of watching their celebrations of West Ham um, beating Fiorentina. Like even just the way they won the, the final was amazing, right? Winning it last minute and just how the, you know, the game kind of ebbed and flowed. A very, very, very cagey and tight. I thought somewhat nervous, apprehensive first half against a very decent Fiorentina side. Like I think the commentators were mentioning it. Fiorentina for, you know, maybe the first half of the Serie A, they were playing really, really good football there in Italy. Like some of the best football you'd see in a league. Like they were literally putting on some very good performances, got some very big results. They kind of fell off around the second half of the season, but Fiorentina are no mugs. So the fact that West Ham were able to kind of go toe-to-toe with them in the first half kind of proved that they belong there. Then the second half kicks off, you know, it's still tentative, but a bit more expansive, a bit more open. Um, West Ham managed to get a penalty, they end up scoring and you're imagining against that sort of team, you want to kind of weather the storm, you want to sit back, you want to defend, you want to have a good 10 minutes where you're sort of like, you know, basically um, stopping any opportunity the team has to score against you and guess what happens for your team to score almost immediately, maybe like three or four minutes afterwards. And then you're thinking, oh no, with Fiorentina's European experience, European pedigree, you just think there's only one way this game can go and then suddenly the ascendancy was on Fiorentina. They kind of had the wind, uh, you know, behind their sales but somehow West Ham managed to hang on they got a lot of big characters in their team didn't kind of fall so I thought Declan Rice didn't play the greatest personally I think Berama um on the on the pitch kind of did show him up a little bit I saw a lot of conversation not Berama what's his name um Amrabat, sorry, from Morocco. I saw a lot of conversation on social media about people essentially comparing Amrabat to Declan Rice, which I think is a bit unfair. If I'm not mistaken, Amrabat isn't the greatest, you know what I mean? So um, I think in general, it was a great performance. And just the way they won it in the end kind of filled me with loads of joy. Seeing them score a last-minute winner, because I honestly think if it would have gone to penalties, I think West Ham would have lost. I don't think they would have been able to hold their composure, especially with all their fans in the stadium, super excited. You know, just just the pressure would have been too much. All the family and friends, they couldn't have handled it, I don't think. Their assholes definitely would have, you know, fell out from underneath them if it was penalties. So I'm actually happy that that didn't happen and they won in normal, quote-unquote, time. And the goal itself, man, and talk about a pressure cooker moment Gerard Bowen racing racing in on towards goal mate racing in towards goal absolutely incredible finish to kind of have that composure and, I, and after watching the replays it was actually more impressive because Paqueta's ball was really good um exp, you know it, it amazingly weighted into his path so he, all he had to do was kind of run onto it but the amount of touches that you know Jared Bowen took between the goal and the first shot was, was just one I actually thought he took more touches than that but he actually took one touch to set it up looked at the goalkeeper and just kind of put his foot through the ball and luckily it didn't ricochet you know um off the keeper and kind of go wide it kind of ricocheted off the keeper and then still went in um he could have maybe you know, afforded to do a little cheeky chip, but I think just getting your foot through the ball, especially that late in the game, probably the most important thing. And you know, um, also fortunate that he wasn't called offside, so that was amazing to see. But the the final thing to end on this, so I was just happy about, it, was that this I think should be a sobering contrast to the obvious, to the insane conversation I think we have in England specifically when it comes to teams at the end of the season. If you don't win the league, the only other thing people kind of talk about is top four finishes. And I think the obsession with top four finishes in this country is really crazy considering the amount of elite teams that are in like the top six, top 10. And the difference 
that winning trophies does to a club, the difference it does to players, to the profile of your flipping football club in general. And just in general, you know, with, with professional sports being what it is at the top level, winning trophies is kind of what it's all about. And the memories you kind of create along the way and the legends that get told, bloody blah, blah, blah. And for some reason that kind of fell by the wayside. There was too much onus I felt put on, you know, winning or kind of, you know, quality. When I said winning, I even said it. See, I even got kind of stuck into the flipping lexicon, all that nonsense. It's not winning, but kind of finishing in the top four is now being seen as a trophy when really it's not. It doesn't come close to it. Don't get me wrong. It does help in terms of allowing the clubs to play European football, allowing them the ability to attract better players for the following season, maybe a better manager, um, you know, the ability to play, you know, games against, you know, European, legendary European um, teams and opposition, fair play. But I think the name of the game, especially at the top level, should always be winning trophies. Because when you win trophies, you get emotions like this for a small, well, for a relatively small club like West Ham, a club that's been bereft of success to have their players and their staff members have these elated expressions all over their face. No top four finish is ever going to recreate that. No top four finish is ever going to come close to, you know, providing that kind of feeling that all these players have and um, being able to kind of, you know, lift a trophy for their club in this flipping competition personally for me I feel this is the kind of best way to go about things and then when you look at a player like Declan Rice a player that's essentially trying to you know figure out his next path and where to go to next but it's also a player that a lot of people are kind of looking at saying yeah he's the next one he's the next big player to come out of England he's the next big you know European talent in midfield especially you want to kind of add and solidify to your kind of legend to your reputation by winning trophies especially at a younger age it's going to do something to your psyche to your mental and to how you're kind of perceived and looked at by other clubs going forward and ultimately too because I saw some um, bits and pieces of news there's even conversation that I've seen. I've seen conversation online of him essentially saying that it's no guarantee that he's actually going to leave because there's loads of rumours about Declan Rice going to Arsenal, going to Bayern Munich, going to Man United, going to all these different clubs. And now after this European success, he's probably thinking, you know what? I've got two years left on my contract anyway. I'm still relatively young, or I'm still young anyway by midfield's terms. There's no real rush for me to leave, really. If he's still, you know, if he's able to add a few more trophies, maybe a real high league finish to his kind of belt in the next two seasons that he's got on his contract at West Ham, then you could then move, especially with a bit more maturity. There's no rush to go. So trophies can do that for you. It can kind of change the kind of, you know, the course of your flipping success going forward. And I'd just love to see it personally. I'd love to see that this has now become a thing and hopefully we'll see a different sort of conversation being kind of uttered in the press because I feel like the obsession with top four in this country is somewhat detrimental to the clubs who are maybe um i would say don't have a chance of winning the league because there's so many trophies up for grabs during the season fa cup league cup um you know europa league conference league these trophies are i think attainable um for a lot of clubs outside of the top um six or within the top six some of them and they should always try to go for them because those trophies do a, a bit a lot a lot more in terms of galvanizing the team and bringing everybody together than just having flipping top four finishes and all that malarkey. But I'm also super happy for somebody like Mark Noble, who's obviously a Newham and a West Ham legend and somebody that I've kind of, 
you know, seen from afar do amazing things for the club and basically be a legend and having to hang up his boots last year. But, you know, he, you know, he's essentially now taking on a role within the club there being a sporting, I think he's got a sporting director role over there. So he must have been incredibly proud to see, um, his fellow T ex teammates and his club, a boyhood club, be able to lift a European trophy on such an epic night. I can only imagine the amount of coke, the amount of ket, the amount of beer that's being consumed right now out there in flipping Prague. I think it is where the flipping final is taking place and various other pubs all around South London, all around East London, all around Northwest, whatever places West Ham fans are, people are probably having a flipping ball and they absolutely deserve it because West Ham fans have had to go through the ringer. Like United fans, West Ham fans have absolutely suffered, 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 um, with having terrible owners, um, and just generally not really reaching the heady heights that they kind of once kind of hoped for. So congratulations to West Ham. Well achieved, well achieved. Amazing game. I really enjoyed it. Um, special shout outs go to, go to Emerson. Emerson, the fullback, played amazing. I've never seen him play that well ever in my entire life. He really turned it on. Paqueta also was sensational. Uh, Mikel Antonio put in an incredible shift. Um, I, I don't know if it was actually Declan Rice's best game, but he still showed up when needed. Um, and, you know, many other good, great performances. Obviously, Jared Bones' finish was great. I thought Ben Rama didn't do as great probably as he usually did before, but still, I'm a good, um, it was a good game. I enjoyed it and happy to see West Ham get that success. Moving on and something a little bit more negative on my side of things. This is really depressing and I'm legitimately having to, I'm going to have to like figure out a way to navigate through this summer concerning my United news. So that it doesn't affect my mental health. I'm, I'm being legit. I'm being legit because I'm one of these people who legitimately thinks that my United are never going to be successful again until we get rid of the Glazers, until we get rid of those blood sucking, rat looking, um, you know, flipping horrible monsters and leeches that are sucking everything out of our club. We're never going to be a successful club once again because they do not have any you know, they don't care about sporting success. They just want to essentially turn Man United into being some sort of commercial outlet that they can kind of siphon money out of, but they don't care about us actually being um, successful in a football pitch, which is what we care about as fans. And unfortunately, there are clubs out there that are doing both things. They're also being commercially successful and they're also doing the sporting project well. But for some reason, the Glazers don't want to do that. And they've had 10 plus years to, you know, show that they can do that. They don't. They don't, they, they've made no effort to, or when they do make changes, they do it kicking and screaming. You know, they always hire from within and we're just so far, you know, beyond the pace of what everyone else is doing right now. I feel that if we don't get rid of the Glazers, that we're basically doomed. That's my kind of surmising and this whole thing. I generally do think if the Glazers don't get booted out of United and we keep them as owners, especially as partial owners, we are doomed, especially when you think about how the other teams in the league are basically progressing and evolving, especially look at a club like Brighton. Brighton have essentially, quote unquote, come out of nowhere and they're doing great things on the pitch and off the pitch. Those type of clubs that know how to recruit well, that have a clear sporting structure, that have ownership, that care about the, 
commercial and the sporting side of things, they're going to want, they're going to be getting it right. And when the likes of, you know, um, sleeping giants like Newcastle being arisen and whatnot, Arsenal probably feeling like they need to kind of get a get back from losing out in the league, you know, um, at the last minute. You got, you got Liverpool had a bit of a blip last season. They're also going to come back. Chelsea are, def- are definitely going to come back. They're not going to finish, you know, the same position they did last season. All of these things are in place, which means that the following seasons are going to be a lot harder than probably this season just passed. So if we don't get rid of the Glazers, we're fucking doomed. So this news for me was incredibly heartbreaking, Curtis of Sky Sports News. It says, Sheikh, Sheikh Jassim says, says, submit, sorry, his fifth, see, I'm, I'm getting so scared and so worried that I'm fucking stammering through my words. It says, Sheikh Jassim submits fifth improved bib to buy the club from the Glazers family. The only horrible thing about it is that he submitted his fifth and final bid, but he's also said here, courtesy of, um, what's his name? Uh, Kavanaugh, this Sky Sports analyst, that he's also fed up. Sheikh Jassim is frustrated and fed up. This takeover process has gone on for seven months, and I think we're all frustrated with it. Sheikh Jassim has said, this is it. This is it. This is his fifth and final offer to take it or leave it. We understand the bid is five billion with an extra billion to help fund the infrastructure, including players. The Glazers have until Friday to take it or leave it. Sheikh Jassim is a cash buyer. He's ready to go. Sir Jim Ratcliffe bid is a phase takeover. According to Financial Times, that means that he'd have 51% now and that the Glazers would be, would be involved for a few more years. That would be good news for the bankers who've been making money out of United for over 17 years. So Sheikh Jassim submits his fifth and final bid and says that's a take it or leave it. But all the murmurs coming out so far from the Glazer side of things who currently own the club is that they don't want to sell it outright. They don't want to sell, they don't want to sell out the club. They don't want to leave. They actually would rather have somebody pay, let's say, the equivalent of four billion for 51%, retain a minority stake, and then later on down the line, sell the remaining stake for another five. So you make 10. So in the, in terms of maths and money making, it makes a lot of sense what they're doing. But for us fans, it's so frustrating because it means these blood sucking vampire like leeches are going to be hanging onto our club for dear life, sucking us dry, influencing our decision making, slowing down processes of us signing players, making us an undesirable club and just further and further, further leaving us behind the competition. At the moment, what we need is a full clean break. Not even a shaking of hands from the Glazers. Like, just fuck off. Get out, get rid of our, get, get out of our fucking club. Let new owners come in with a new sporting project to start again from scratch. That's what we need because the club still needs to have a new stadium. We need a new training ground. Even if you're not going to build a new stadium, the actual, the stadium right now needs to be repaired. The roof is leaking. There are many upgrades that need to be made. We don't even have a screen in there, which is absolutely ridiculous. So all those things need to be updated ASAP. You to get training ground. There used to be improvement maybe for the, you know, for the women's, um, and maybe some of the youth teams as well. They probably need some investment in that also. There used to be a transfer budget set out. Players need to get sold. There's a lot that needs to be done. And the transfer window is going to be opening, I think, in what, two weeks or something like that, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. So with that in mind, you'd imagine you need to have something in place to kind of know what is going on. Like, what's the deal? Are we selling or are we not? But so far, with the fact that the guys are dragging their feet and for what, you know, I, I didn't even realize it's seven months. But it's been seven months since they declared their interest to kind of sell, which really was an investment thing. It's really looking like the Glazers favor the Jim Ratcliffe bid 
because it requires them to only give up 51% of the club, hold on to it, but still have somebody overpay for that 51%. Because if I'm not mistaken, Jim Ratcliffe's bid for 51% is like still around the 4 billion mark, 4, 3 billion mark, which is still a lot because they could, like I said before, double dip and sell the remaining um, portion that they have for another three or four, depending on how the club does, or it doesn't even matter how the club does because we've been terrible for the past 10 years, but we are still worth, you know, 5 billion upwards. So that obviously shows you how big the club is, but I am a little bit paranoid and sad about this because, and worried really, because essentially this is going to mean that we're going to spend another summer with no idea what is, you know, what the future holds, really. We're going to be hoping and praying with these absolute numbnuts and bankers and idiots that are, you know, at the boardroom level and ownership level who just don't know what they're doing. And for some reason, don't know what they're doing, but also are willing to kind of relinquish control. It's ridiculously unfair and upsetting and i have to really start to think about looking after my mental health and maybe not checking up on man united takeover news too often because if i keep checking up on it and i keep seeing people like jim ratcliffe's name being pushed way more than sheikh jassim or any other person wants to buy a club outright it's going to make me feel as if like the glazers are putting out word to their pr propaganda machines to tell them hey this is the one that we want we want this partial, uh, you know, um, sell um, strategy to go through and we're just going to ride it out, which is going to be completely sickening if true. And I'm hoping, hoping, hoping that's not true. Really, really hoping that's not true. But hey, we have to kind of wait and see. And the final bit here from this report from Sky Sports News is that he said, I've spoken to someone involved in the process and they didn't pull any punches. They said Sheikh Jassim is frustrated with the transfer window, opens up in two weeks time. They feel the process has been become a joke. The guy willing to buy the club already has figured out in the space of seven months how much of a joke the Glazers are. We've been saying this. We've been banging the drum for 10 plus years and people call us crazy. But yeah, hope the Glazers leave. Um, hope they sell. Really do. If they don't, you know, we have to go as far as boycotting the club. No fucking buying or fucking merch from the club stadium and shit. Like it's going to have to be, be some extreme walkout shit to kind of get those flipping blood sucking leeches out of the club. That's what needs to be done. It's probably not going to happen, but you know, one can hope. One can bloody hope. Moving on from that, I want to mention this. This is pretty gnarly, isn't it? So this happened, I think just yesterday or maybe today, but I think most of you may be aware that a comedian called DC Young Fly is unfortunately going through a really, really troubling time where um, his partner, wife and mother of his children unfortunately passed away in really tragic circumstances. Um, the word now is that she was, um, she went to go get a mummy makeover, which involves getting, I think, a tummy tuck and maybe a bit of a boob lift, whatever, whatever women need to get done, you know, after they've maybe had a few kids and they don't feel as confident as maybe they did before in their own skin. And then in the process of healing up, she may have passed away. And now the thing, the word is that she may have passed away in her room by herself, healing up and stuff, which is horrible and tragic considering that she was a young mother with three kids, with a loving family and social circle around her to kind of be on your own in those last minutes in a random hotel room somewhere must have been a bit tragic in itself but again we don't know the details but by and large 
this young fly really popular and well-known kind of comedian in the hip-hop slash urban space over there in america and somebody's just like a fixture in the scene overall and people kind of generally have a lot of time for and obviously one of the hosts on the um, i forgot what the podcast he's got it's, it's 85th and something um comedy kind of show that he does that's really fun as well and really hilarious and obviously everyone's kind of you know heartbroken for him over the news considering he has like three young kids to look after as well on his own so just tragic all around right and he hasn't really said nothing about it and you know clearly the guy's probably going through it at the moment so you can only kind of you know extend your kind of thoughts and prayers with that being said everyone else is in that sort of mood i guess azalea banks isn't because for some reason no one else i think on the internet realized or remembered that dc young fly and azalea banks at one point had a bit of beef when azalea banks appeared on the show dc young fly used to be on called wild and out the one he was kind of made famous he kind of got his name from and during the process of the kind of roast, roast session, roast, roast session that they were doing, her and DC Young Fly had a bit of back and forth. And I watched a clip of the episode where they kind of have their back and forth and DC Young Fly kind of rips her to pieces. It's not that aggressive. She probably says way more hurtful things about him than he did about her. But somehow, I guess you can't tell people how to feel. You know, Azalea Banks has been holding this resentment for DC Young Fly for a while. And when she heard about the news of DC Young Fly's wife, mother of his children, partner, love of his life passing away, this is what she said on flipping Instagram stories. This is what she tweeted on the Instagram stories. This woman is absolutely savage. She said, damn, DC Young Fly spent years disguising his own deeply rooted hatred as self jokes pointed at women's beauty projecting his own feelings about his own ugliness into women perfectly secure of their own skin say what you want about my tears they were pure tears of rage and not all of a sign of weakness <clears throat> because in the end i won which is a weird thing to say in it i won but i'm happy i cried and moved on that jackie o girl must have really been feeling so deeply insecure about herself and that nerve of DC to call such a gorgeous woman as Azalea Banks ugly on national television while a bunch of black people laughed? It continues. And, I, and ironically, dead at 32, exactly on my 32nd birthday, May 31st, 2023, in Miami, Florida. You niggas are going to learn to stop fucking with me. I don't think anyone gets how much of a, of the press from this episode that derailed the success of quote, quote, Anna Wintour. I came to sing my song and go home and only to request of my label. Then the stupid butch queens on stage behind me, basically making a mockery of it being a quote, quote, gay song, fake voguing behind me in their do rags like they aren't all raging homosexuals. That fawn in my side is finally out. No way in hell um, I was blessed with this many gifts, this much talent and beauty. To be a cultural punching bag for a cast of peons who wouldn't have a pot to piss in if they didn't have the court of social media addicts to gesture for. I do this in real life, dick lickers. Ha ha, ashe. <laughs> Yo, this is fucking psychotic. The, the, the guy's wife and mother of his children passes away you have a personal beef with him which is stupid because i watched the clip and it's, it's a nothing burger beef and nothing burger thing to get upset about but again you can't tell people how to be upset and what to be upset about but then what does her passing have to do with dc young fly that's the thing that's 
bizarre about this and that's what comes across mean-spirited because you can hold grudges and not want to forgive that's your prerogative but the haha i won thing when it's the partner that passed away who had nothing to do with the whole issue because it would have made sense if maybe you know along the way in the episode when they were going back and forth the you know um the girl i think her name is um i forgot her name actually but whatever the girl's name in the RIP to you, I mean, don't no respect, but if she was in this crowd as well, laughing along the way, fair enough. But it just, it was a, obviously an incident involving Azalea Banks and DC Young Fly, which is what makes it utterly bizarre. But on one side of things, I'm also a little bit torn because I think maybe this is what people should be doing. Because I feel like there's a lot of people who kind of fake the funk and sort of just extend pleasantries just to kind of appear nice when they don't really mean it. Um, or when they've actually got a real problem with somebody and they pass away, they think the kind of correct and polite thing to do is to kind of extend, you know, um, you know, whatever, um, thoughts and prayers, whatever it may be, just to be nice. But why bother doing that if you actually have beef with somebody? If you legitimately feel like somebody did you wrong, maybe the best thing to do to kind of be true to yourself and to be true to the situation is not to pretend, not to double type the post and write like something in there, RIP, whatever. It's just to kind of, you know, hold your counsel and keep it moving and keep scrolling. Maybe that is the best way to go about things. It's incredibly mean and crazy to say this, but maybe that's actually accurate because that's actually how you really feel. So instead of having, instead of holding on to that resentment and pretending like you care, you'd kind of let go of that resentment by saying, you know what, quote, unquote, I won, which is insane to say, really dark, really mean-spirited, um, kind of bordering on evil, but at least it's who you actually are. You're actually being your true self in that situation. That maybe is the right way to go about it, personally, because there's no real back and forth that could make this make sense. These young fly can't say nothing to kind of bring back the wife of his children, his partner, his wife, the person that he's missing the most right now. Nothing he says is ever going to bring her back anyway. Nothing he's, ever, he's going to say is ever going to convince Azalea Banks that he's not a mean person who hurt her feelings back then because she clearly held on to something like that for however many years it was, 10 years, maybe five. It's crazy. So if that's the case, just say rest in peace and keep it moving. It's fucking insane to say it because it's clearly incredibly mean and has nothing to do with the lady at hand that passed away. But maybe that is somewhat accurate and true because it actually is something you actually feel like. Because I remember the same situation happening or me having the same realization when I saw the weird outpouring of fake love and whatever else when Virgil passed away. I was like, hold on. Like I kind of had the very... Sh you know, short and brief period um, of, you know, how I had a very short and brief privilege of kind of working alongside a guy and obviously being a fan of him from afar from a long time. And I'd know, you know, quite a lot of, a lot of people in the scene and shit, not everyone, but a lot of people in the scene. And I kind of knew the sentiment around him. So a lot of people that were saying these kind of weird fake things about him and how much he meant to them and all this sort of stuff. I knew that in real life when he was alive, they were the ones that were also talking incredibly bad about him and essentially kind of mocking and laughing at his success and questioning why it wasn't them that got that position at Louis Vuitton why they didn't have the Nike collab or the Ikea thing like you know it wasn't real but then I also understood at that time you know what this is kind of part and parcel of the game weirdly enough it's part of the social media clout demons type of um you know 
society we live in at the moment where every opportunity where every instance in real life is opportunity for you to kind of you know add to those flipping clout tokens that you're flipping storing up so when Virgil passed away even though people that were you know posting their tributes and trying to pretend like they were best friends with the guy even though that wasn't true it kind of you know it served the purpose in terms of making them look a certain way and that's what everyone cares about it's just a look and on top of that Talking about just a look. Talking about just a look. We have to flip and feature this thing. Adi, just to end it off. So this is the one that really caught me off guard. And I'm really curious to see what this young lady says to kind of explain it away. So what you're looking at here on the screen is a screenshot taken from this girl called B. Simone's Instagram story page. And she's one of her close friends um, of the lady, the young lady who passed away recently. Who Azalea Banks is kind of like dancing on her grave. Um, who's also the partner of DC Young Fly. And, you know, she's one of the close friends. And of course, I guess because they're all kind of well-known people, they're all sort of like people on the outside, fans and whatever, are looking to see what the response is from the friends about the passing away of their close friend, like in such tragic circumstances. And B. Simone being one, maybe one of the more famous ones from that group, comes out and posts the following caption on her Instagram story. If you're not on my close friends, you're not going to see much of my life during this time. Close friends, I love you thank you for being a safe space and then it's got a link join my close friends now <laughs> so essentially this b simone's girl has turned her close friends feature on instagram into an opportunity to kind of monetize you know get, get some extra clients in, which is not uncommon i've seen people do it um it's kind of a, a way to kind of like a private it's kind of a way to sort of like have people on your finster that's not a finster i don't know it's, it's a clever way to make some extra bit of money i kind of understand what she's sort of doing but to do that in the midst of your friend passing away because you know people are waiting to see what you have to say and to see how you feel and what you're whatever um is kind of demonic maybe even worse than what azalea banks did because at least azalea banks had a personal grudge against one half of the couple but this person is meant to be a friend of the girl that passed away and now you're monetizing her death by selling subscriptions to your close friends on instagram so if people can see you cry or people can see you post like i don't know reels of you what like sadly watching tv and shit or what I, I don't know it's flipping insane but i'm hoping this is not what it seems like and maybe it's um more so like a a thing that she does anyway all the time because you know she's just part of her kind of content strategy as a content creator influencer type person maybe it's a scheduled post that was already done that wasn't you know looked at before i'm not too sure but god almighty either way it's really 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 insane to see but also goes to show that this whole clout social media game thing is fucking sadistic and kind of sad and sometimes, you know, someone passes away in this actual real tragic situation in real life. But then the conversation around it is the worst thing, actually, post. People kind of jostling to sort of like, you know, establish how close they were to the person. Um, and just all sorts of manner of stuff happening that has nothing to do with sort of like the real thing, which is, you know, looking out for your family and friends who you left behind, being there for your kids and shit and all that malarkey that you would imagine would be the real mark of a real friend. But hey, what do I know? I don't really have many of them. So um, moving on from that one, I want to mention this, courtesy of Flipping Apple. 
Um, for once, for once, I'm somebody that doesn't usually get duped by flipping adverts and whatnot. But when I was watching the WWDC um, Apple conference and I've seen all the stuff that they kind of released, one of the things that kind of really kind of sparked my interest was the MacBook Air 15 inch. I've needed to update my MacBook Air for a while. I think I've got like, or I've had, you know, four MacBook Airs, mostly the ones within the 2017 range. I've got one currently at the moment that's still standing, but it's not in the best condition. And I do probably need to get it upgraded, but it is, has been before it kind of died. And I I actually need to buy a new charger for it. That's why it's actually not working. It's actually nothing actually wrong, you know, with the actual unit itself. It's just a flipping AC adapter, whatever it may be. But one thing that I love about my MacBook Airs or that I've had over the years is that they were usually the computers I use the most day to day. Even though I've I've got a pro, which I'm currently streaming on now and used to kind of do all my editing and podcast shit, I still use the MacBook Air from day to day just to kind of browse the web, watch movies and shit because it was so light to kind of carry around. And whenever I was going on a holiday, that'd be the first laptop out or that'd be the only thing I'll take with me laptop wise um, because it was easy to carry and whatnot. And, um, you know, it packed a bit, bit of punch. If you need to do some work, you could, but you could also kind of entertain yourself with it. And for the most part, the battery lasted a really really long time but um you know over the years my kind of demands for my laptop have kind of changed at the moment now i'm thinking about getting a gaming streaming laptop to kind of do a lot of like content on here with so it, my demands for that sort of thing are, are kind of waning but i've got so many kind of like you know frankenstein you know stuck with glue flipping laptops hanging around it might be a better idea just to kind of consolidate everything get rid of the fraff invest in a new macbook air and then maybe get a new streaming laptop. But this new MacBook Air advert, courtesy of Apple, looks absolutely banging and really got me interested in flipping, checking it out. I really, 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 really want to get one. It looks flipping great. Let me play the advert here. MacBook Air. For the first time ever in 15 inches. We've been dreaming about making this. I'm I'm interested as well. Like I, I think this is a thing that happened previously, but I studied product design, right, in a pretty decent university over here in flipping the UK at Central Martins, right? You know, pretty decent one. People love to go to sort places and wear as a badge of honor, blah blah blah. But when I was uh, applying to go to fucking uni and stuff, the first thing I wanted to do was obviously product design because you know I'm into flipping designing consumer products and shit right whether it comes from you know fucking telephones and remote controls and shit lamps chairs whatever i'm into kind of just you know consumer design in that respect and pro design was always a term i sort of held use especially when i used to watch this show um i forgot what it was uh things called like better by design i think it was called but the term that was always used was product design but then over the years i heard this other term being used which they've used here to feature one of the designers here at apple which is industrial design. And I've always wondered, is industrial design just like a fancy word, a fancy version of product design? Or is industrial design the clear delineation between, you know, creating physical products and actually creating digital products? Because I think a lot of people now, if you if somebody tells you they're a product designer, the first thing you think about is them designing apps. You know? Like apps and stuff like 
that's what you think something on a digital something on a on smartphone on the web but you never think about them actually designing an actual real physical product so maybe that's the delineation people are making now but um I'll, i'd like to defer, refer to myself more so as a product designer as opposed to a industrial designer even though i think industrial sounds way more swanky and it kind of gives you a bit more of a panache i still think the there's nothing kind of wrong with saying you're a product designer personally for years, for years. We designed a big, beautiful display that kept it incredibly thin and super light. It's all possible because of Apple Silicon. M2 is so efficient that we don't need a fan, which means you'll have a MacBook Air that's as thin as ever while running completely silent. And every that for me is the biggest deal. The silent part of it is the biggest deal. I'm not going to play the whole thing for you because most of you guys have seen it. But that's one that I'm kind of really curious about seeing it and kind of using something that has, it's not going to be fucking shaking if I've got a million tabs open and whatnot, having to be silent and the flipping battery life is meant to be crazy good as well, like 18 plus hours in terms of battery. So I'm actually thinking about getting one. Obviously the 15 inch is the one that they're promoting. The 13 inch might be more um, applicable to my needs because I want to have something that like carry around in my flipping backpacks and shit but 15 is not that much bigger actually um than a 13 so it could be um done but the one thing i'm surprised about is the price the price is fairly decent considering how normally expensive um apple sort of like macbooks are in general um, it's good that they're kind of keeping the macbook prices around this range so the 13 inch m2 is 1149 dollars and then the new 15 inch model with the m2 chip is 1399 but i'm curious to see what the m2 chip is like because like i said i've i've never had a macbook you know newer than a 2017 one or maybe 2018 so i'm curious to see how fast these new units are uh to say these new machines are to use day to day and um how they maybe improve productivity and output and shit because you know it takes me a while to make thumbnails it takes me a while to design flies and shit and just to get shit shut up because you know my computer is the way it is uh, you kind of learn how to kind of work with it but it'll be cool to be able to have a computer you just open up everything opens you have to wait there's no wheel of death and shit that's going to be pretty sick to see so i'm really curious to kind of get one of those soon new macbook airs but obviously the most important thing from the flipping recent um, Apple presentation was the Apple Vision Pro that everyone's been going flipping crazy about right online. And for me personally, um, I think in terms of a product, it's legitimately the most interesting thing Apple's made in a very, very, very long time. I'm one of the people that, you know, kind of bemoan the fact that um, smartphones, especially the Apple iPhone form structure hasn't really changed that much over the years. It's still the same sort of rectangle kind of design with the flipping, you know, um, touchscreen and whatever it may be. Nothing has really sort of changed that much structurally about the phone over the last i'm going to save in 10 years to make it really worthwhile to be jumping from model to model to model to model but i still think apple has the ability to create really amazing consumer products i like, got you don't think you know what i really need this and maybe apart from maybe the apple watch i can't think of anything else that apple have done recently in recent years that's really made me think you know what i need to get this uh, of course aside from the macbooks as well that you want to upgrade but something that's really kind of going to blow your mind and i feel like for me this Vision Pro is definitely one of them. Because when I initially saw it, the first thing that came to mind when I saw it being presented, it kind of reminded me of a scene from like the movie. You remember the Tom Cruise movie um, called 
Oblivion, I think it's called. It's called Oblivion? I think it's called Oblivion. This Tom Cruise movie called Oblivion. And there's a scene in it where he's on the computer and um the computer he uses is kind of like a flat screen and it kind of rises up and it kind of reminds me a little bit as well of the movie prometheus where essentially the way you kind of use the computers where you have these kind of um these sort of they also they almost look like they almost look like typography or topography sort of like projections that sort of like rise up these little led lights and sometimes you can use your hands to sort of move the screens around but it's a really um futuristic almost sci-fi way of looking at you know using a computer in real time i think all that sort of shit is fucking incredible and that's kind of in my opinion where the future should be heading so when I saw this shit and I saw the demos that they were showing in the presentation, one of them of the guy in the studio essentially having these screens around him that he's sort of using to kind of browse around and do his extra jobs and whatnot, that really legitimately blew my mind. And I was thinking, oh my God, I cannot wait to flip and use this. But the one feature that I thought was a real big game changer that I think I'm definitely going to want to purchase the Apple Vision Pro for was the flipping ability to watch movies for it to become a full-on immersive experience where you could have the screen be as big as you flipping want is legitimately one of the things that would really get me um, excited to purchase one because I'm one of the people that kind of you know is a bit annoyed that my movie going experience is kind of you know mostly relegated to watching stuff on my laptop or sometimes on my phone i don't really go to the cinemas anymore as much as i probably used to and when i am watching on my laptop on my phone my concentration is all over the place because i'm on my phone i'm walking out the window i'm walking around da, 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 da. but at least with this headset as you know as bizarre as it looks on your head it actually does kind of force you to kind of sit down and sort of like pay attention to what you're seeing so it can kind of in a weird way provide a resolution for me in terms of having the ability to watch movies at home but also feel like you are actually concentrating and focusing on the thing that you're watching and you're not distracted by your phone all the time i feel like that's really really the game changer for me in that regard and especially you know you think about it going forward like with terms of watching like sporting events like football and whatnot um i've heard someone make a conversation i think it might be mkbhd saying that how they could legitimately sell an option for you to have seats courtside watching a game or even if you're in a stadium watching football you could probably do that also because it's a mix of you know augmented reality and virtual reality that cl clearly would be an option going forward but i just mean from a purely basic bog standard sitting on your couch point of view being able to watch the game in that sort of you know in that sort of way with that sort of amazing screen um would be legitimately amazing for someone like myself um to check out especially considering how often i spend time at home and i think the verge here actually um did speak about it and made you know this comment which i think was a great one actually they said apple finally made a tv and that legitimately is what they've done you know for a long time everyone's waiting for the actual apple tv and that's what they've actually done instead of actually making a physical tv itself they've made this headset that you put over in your head you put over your eyes and you can essentially watch whatever you want on a massive screen that sort of takes up space within your real space so that takes up virtual space within your real space and kind of allows you to really um you know absorb yourself within the environment which i think is amazing so i'll quickly read this article here courtesy of the verge um it says here 
from a purely technical perspective, I had the same experience using the Apple Pro, um, the Apple Vision Pro, sorry, that most others who have tried have seemed to. The headset is remarkably polished for a first generation product. Its screen looks much better. The field of view is much wider and the gesture controls is much more natural than any other headset on the market. The Vision Pro did get a little heavier on my face after a while. And obviously all we've seen so far are the control demos in a control situation, but there's no doubt that this is a remarkable piece of hardware. Oh, one thing I also got to mention, the only slight issue with it is I think, and you know, just to point out the issues, has been the battery life so far is like two hours, unless you have it plugged into charge. The other battle or something that I wasn't really happy about was this FaceTime feature. So you've got FaceTime feature that you can use so you can basically call people with the headset on. But the weird thing is the people that you're calling on FaceTime, what they'll see isn't your real face. They'll instead see this like weird um computerized avatar thing of yourself it's really bizarre sort of like a fifa type of madden type of creator character sort of face thing which is a bit unnerving so everybody is kind of like you know a real person and then you're the one that's kind of got the computer face which is a bit bizarre but that's the only two things i thought were a bit strange and of course there was a bit in the kind of promotion material where a young dad was sort of like playing with his kids while he had the headset on or I think he was filming them or something I thought that was really kind of you know somewhat black mirrorish and and almost sad but eventually that's probably where we're going to go anyway And, and if anything that is no real different to like people holding their cameras right up above their face you know while they're recording their kids or at concerts and stuff so you know people freaking out about that stuff is a bit you know inconsequential but we move on it says here which brings up to another which brings up the other and more interesting question. What is this thing for? Apple has a few answers. It's for taking the most immersive videos of your kid's birthday. It's for adding more monitors to your office setup. And it's for staring at a 3D human heart while it beats quietly in your living room. But I have a different theory. It's a TV. At least at first, the best thing this headset will do is play movies and shows. And while Apple may have big ideas about immersive content, the new formats are watching things that are all going to take a while to really catch on. But being able to fire up Netflix and watch it on a huge virtual screen, that's going to be ready right away. And for all the potential Apple lofty rhetoric, the Vision Pro is a television and extremely Apple-y one at that. The only issue I feel like with it being a TV, I'm just thinking about it right now, is that there's such a lack of good shit on. That's the thing. I wish there was more stuff to watch so that you could really make use of this headset. I'm sh- I'm sure, you know, there's no shortage of stuff to watch. Don't get me wrong. You could go in the archives and dig out some amazing, you know, um, legendary movies that you could kind of rewatch again and again and again. But it would be such a great thing to be able to use this headset and also be able to, you know, watch the newest, greatest show that everybody is saying you have to watch that's legitimately good instead of the, you know, the kind of, almost average okay and passable shows that we have at the moment that aren't really doing much but are good enough to pass away the time that's the only thing that i wish would have been the case but apart from that i think it's a fucking definitely a game changer um and it continues to one last bit here it says i should say i don't think this is a tv steve jobs was talking about when he famously told author um, walter Igerson that he had finally cracked the future of tv and I also don't think this is the TV analyst Gene Munster spent years predicting would come and never did. Apple may yet make a big screen TV that sits in a living room, but for the company that is forever trying to push the boundaries of what technology does and how you interact with it, the Vision Pro feels much more in keeping with Apple's vision. Instead of one 
two instead of one tv one size in one place apple proposes a world in which you have infinite tvs of all sizes everywhere all the time and that is a fucking game changer especially if you think about the kind of people that use apple products you know um that is definitely going to be a game changer because it's going to completely change how you sort of like use your space as well because you know you're not going to have screens everywhere so maybe you can kind of change how you lay out your flipping space in terms of an interior designs point of view but again i'm getting too much in the weeds there um i can't wait to see it when it releases sometime in the new year a big big lead up time in terms of pre-orders and eyeing out the details i'm assuming um but also gives people a chance to kind of get hyped for it and yeah man the, the price tag's a bit much mad though i think it's like three thousand four hundred or something like that so that's a bit crazy but I'm sure people are going to flip and lap it up when it does eventually come out when it does eventually come out next on list here quick one to mention this um an amazing win for yay um formerly known as Kanye West here courtesy of Hypebeast where they say yay allegedly makes over 25 million US dollars from the first day of Adidas Yeezy restocks none of us are surprised by this <laughs> to be honest but it is quite hilarious considering he did absolutely zero press or promo for this this is essentially a deal that the adidas um investors kind of or the board sort of like forced the company to do because they were losing out so much money off of cancelling his deal and booting him out of the adidas offices they kind of had to do this to sort of like you know repair the bond and make sure their investors and shareholders are able to make some money so they kind of you know they did it kind of begrudgingly and yay essentially i guess kind of didn't care and it still was able to is it still able to make 25 million us dollars now don't get me wrong it didn't go off without a hitch the shoes themselves weren't the greatest in terms of options people that received them were there's reports now of people receiving shoes with mold on them and shit which makes sense because these shoes have legitimately been sitting somewhere in a warehouse um since kanye got booted off of adidas but it does show his level of influence really and the fact that he legitimately might be one of the most uncancelable creative figures and entities out there in you know popular culture he is that kind of big because he did everything and said everything that you're not meant to say things that should get you sort of like buried forever and ever he said all of them and still survived and still prevailed and now he's in the you know He's in another phase of his career where he set up a new Yeezy office. He's got new collections coming out. There's posts about wanting interns, posts about wanting new models. Um, he's in like a particular, you know, he's changed his whole aesthetic now. He's not wearing the big boots. He's got the little kind of, you know, um, what they call scuba sandal things going on. He's wearing his little leggings with his flat bum out and shit. Like he's in a whole different zone. So he's not, he's moved on completely from that easy aesthetic guy that he kind of was, but he's still able to flip in sell over 25 million pat dollars worth of fucking shoes on the first day with little to no promo really from Adidas aside from some press releases, no real push from him either. Absolutely insane. So it says here. Um, because of hypebeast yeah it's controversial statements in the media sparked an entire downfall between the artists and many branded deals most notably adidas yeezy while yay's involvement with the adidas is no longer a partnership the deal termination has left adidas with over 500 million us dollars of us stock so of yeezy stock however as a compromise adidas recently announced that it would uh, resume selling yeezy products the catch is that the sportswear giant will be donating a portion of the proceeds to an international organization that supports the group that yay has offended which is 
legitimately insane and stupid because if you really abhor what he said you wouldn't risk you wouldn't be happy to take make any money out of anything that he does because it's tainted you would imagine but hey what do i know starting yesterday ADS began rolling out one of three releases to sell the remaining easy stocks so far the drop has been an incredible success and according to reports 682,300 pairs of yeezys were released selling 170 0.5 million US dollars in total. Despite the fallout with Adidas, EA still holds a hefty 50% royalty the Yeezy products sold. That means that with the first release, EA has made over a quarter of a hundred million dollars. <laughs> From the first release, with just two releases left, EA is expected to make quite a bit of profit. So clearly, again, it shows he's uncancelable. And I think what should happen going forward, just without, you know, without that kind of troll and shit post aside, what I would like to see is this. If big sportswear brands or big corporations decide to collaborate with very, you know, controversial, edgy, um, you know, fashion design figures, whatever they may be, you should be, you should vet them better. Vet them better. Or if you do accept their flaws, also know that you're going to, you know, you're going to along the way have some genius product, some genius moments that might change the whole trajectory of your brand clearly as they did with Yeezy because Yeezy for a moment Adidas was like contributing a crazy percentage to the overall Adidas bottom line even though it was a really really new kind of you know side of things that they were doing so I think if that's the case if you're gonna get in bed with someone like a year you have to understand the baggage he comes with and just say no matter what he says we're gonna stay in business with him because the business is that good because ultimately the people that actually buy the product they don't give a fuck they never have, they never will. They don't give a single F. So if that's the case, why not just keep servicing them, make your monies, keep your, you know, your board, your investors happy and keep the streets fed and then have an opportunity in this very short space of time to actually legitimately maybe catch up with Nike or even compete on an actual big scale because that's what Yeezy was doing for a while. It was actually getting Adidas to a point where they were actually getting to a point where maybe, you know, in a few years they could be competing with Nike on a really legitimate scale. But now it's completely gone. It's completely poop poop. So maybe that's the thing we're going to see in the future. Brands taking more risk, being willing to stand in the shit with the, with the person that they hired who's risque and just kind of ride it out. Because ultimately after all the, you know, the social commentators, the political pundits, um, the people from the community that he offended spoke. The ones that actually mattered are the ones that buy the shoes. And after that, everyone kind of moved on and no one kind of cares about it anymore. So I think that needs to happen going forward in the future. But again, will it happen? Probably not. Probably, probably not. Moving on from that one, I quickly wanted to mention this. I thought it was fucking hilarious. This is a oh, what was that? There you go. This is a tweet taken from the legend that is Matrix Man, who actually had a incredible, by all accounts, performance at flipping Bergheim. Everyone's flipping, going crazy over there on the Bergheim subreddit about how amazing his set was, and essentially, you know, people basically finding it about him for the first time after seeing him in Bergheim. And it's always kind of cool to see the kind of you know the reports of people who go to those um, clubs and how they kind of report back on who did one who didn't do well because sometimes those sets can make or break careers and stuff so clearly for someone like a matrix man he's been seen for a while um it was never going to break his career but it's still good to see um him get the props and the love that he deserves but i thought his tweet that he put out a while back was fucking hilarious and i kind of went to quickly speak about it where he mentioned how 
being a DJ is one of the most embarrassing jobs in the world. And the tweet itself goes as follows. It says, hi, I'm a pro DJ. Um, I need to pick up my guitar again or something. This shit is fucking embarrassing. And I have to agree with them. I think the only thing that comes close to the embarrassment levels of calling yourself a professional DJ, like without a hint of irony, is definitely what I do. In terms of being a podcaster, a YouTuber, a live streamer, like telling anyone you do this in real life is legitimately lame. The only thing is, I can't remember the last time I actually told somebody IRL that, oh yeah, I have a YouTube channel or something, or I do podcasts, or I have a live stream. I've never said it once. Even if somebody brings it up to me in real life, says, Oh, I think I've seen you somewhere. Like, it's kind of embarrassing. <laughs> I mean, I kind of want to run away. I don't really want to talk about my digital life in real life. It's something that I kind of, you know, weirdly enough, don't take pride in and do take pride in, but it's just objectively lame to kind of get yourself in front of a webcam, be ranting and raving alone into a flipping, in a, in a room by yourself, talking absolute nonsense to strangers online. There's nothing more lamer than it, but I think. DJing might be on another level to it personally because with DJing especially nowadays with the guys and girls who are about nowadays in the scene they take themselves way too seriously and I'm saying this as a fellow DJ myself like I've always seen it as one of the best hobbies you could ever have um, especially if you're a music nut because you get the chance to discover amazing new music you get a chance to play in amazing spaces sometimes you get paid sometimes you can travel the world um, and it's just great to kind of make people happy on the dance floor dancing vibing to shit that you like and maybe they like right cool amazing but ultimately it's the I would say the easiest field in the music industry to kind of get involved in it's the lowest barrier of entry all you need is like a 50 dollar maybe even cheaper controller to sort of like manipulate the music with and sort of like beat match and mix or fade in da, 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 da. and then you're kind of off because all you need to do is then download you know or kind of dig around and find tunes that other people have made and kind of play them really loudly and maybe in a, in a, in a nice order that people kind of like to listen to and that's basically it but for some reason there's a whole generation a whole group of DJs out there who legitimately think I don't know like they're in they're in a band like they actually make like I don't know that they think they play an instrument they think they're a fucking architect or something like they take themselves incredibly incredibly seriously even though the job is incredibly easy and even though what they're doing many people could do and sometimes much better than what they actually do and it needs to be a somewhat hint of humbleness um, into it but for some reason like you'll definitely meet some of the biggest egos you've ever met if you've ever bumped into like a real dj a professional one irl and obviously you see some responses here with other people in the scene you got the guy from lies um saying very you got of course me saying what i said here on the stream so i'm not going to repeat that but i do flip and agree with matrix man that being you know calling yourself a pro dj allowed to somebody who doesn't know you maybe one of the most embarrassing things ever but it's really close a close second and third is definitely telling somebody in real life that you're a podcaster that you have a youtube channel that you stream that just makes me want to vomit in my own flipping mouth so you know if you're out there earning an honest living working a regular nine to five be proud of it because that's something you can actually speak about with some level of pride to your family or friends but going back home and telling your family or friends that you're pursuing being a dj is it's up there like i think about it like similar like you remember like most of you would have like a friend or someone that you know who says they're still pursuing music like to be an artist and stuff and they're like I don't know, in their mid-30s, mid-40s and shit, 50s sometimes, and you're like, 
bro, you're still trying to make this banshee happen. You've got a kid, man. You're 47. Like, give it up. You know that sort of thing. It's like, that's that's the same way it feels like sometimes when I say I'm a DJ. No, when I'm out here posting my mixes, it's like, it's like you're still out here trying to be the party boy behind the decks. Like, give it up, bro. Give it up. But never, never, never. It's a fun, it's a fun hobby. It's a fun hobby. Anyway, moving on from that one, we've got this great news courtesy of Sneaker News regarding an incredible, I feel like personally, lineup of shoes, um, for the next batch of New Balances designed by Teddy Santis, who is also the founder of Ami Leon Dor. And I legitimately think this might be my favorite batch of colorways that he's designed for New Balance. Um, they legitimately are beautiful. A few of them are a little bit sneakery in like the crooky, crooked tongues, kind of way especially this first um model here but the rest are just absolutely gorgeous like teddy santis hasn't missed i think in terms of his ability to put together really really fresh colorways of sneakers like he has a real talent for it because i feel like unlike others um a lot of it isn't like overly thematic like it's not like he's oh, i went to the grand canyon now my shoes are going to be burnt orange and red it's like it's not it's nothing as cliche as that but i also feel like it's not him going back into the archives and just digging into the catalogs and just you know redoing old flipping colors which is always going to work because the og colors are usually the best it's kind of his fresh um interpretation of an og formula of doing colorways which i have always loved my og formula of doing colorways is always like the classic you know 80 to 90s sort of um color palette where you use usually a minimum of like two to four colors you wouldn't go any more than that nowadays people are putting python and leopard and all this sort of nonsense and materials and going crazy with the colors but i think sometimes going with two to three colors on the overall shoe including the fucking you know the color of the fucking midsole I think really that limitation actually allows for a little bit more innovation, a little bit more creativity, a little bit more thinking out the box. And I think in general results in a way more balanced shoe. And it's hard to describe it because this is kind of getting nerdy with sneakers, but I'm about like balancing a shoe. Like I hate shoes that are like top heavy in terms of the colors where they've got a lot of like, you know, darker tones or really kind of loud sort of colors at the front. Maybe they're made with the idea of like having jeans covering the back, but I kind of like, you know, I want to see a shoe. For me, I want a shoe to look good without something covering it. I want it just to look good by itself. So it has to look good with shorts at all times. So sometimes shoes can be a bit too top heavy, but when you have, when you kind of adopt that sort of two to four color, you know, palette, you know, approach to designing shoes what you end up getting is a little bit more of an even shoe across the board and if you see some of these models here like you just get a nice even spread across all the entire shoe and nothing feels top heavy and they all look well balanced incredibly light and easy to wear like you can't go wrong with any of these flipping colorways here on the screen they all look incredibly incredibly beautiful like personally the purples at the top here are definitely ones that I would definitely go for first. And then one of these at the bottom here as well. Maybe this kind of like citrusy lime type of colorway is definitely something that I would kind of jump on. But I think all of them, all of them look absolutely gorgeous. Um, so let's quickly read this news article, Coach of Sneaker News. 
It says over the course of last few months, we've seen glimpses of the New Balance up and coming made in USA collection. And in addition with a new slate of 990 V6s and 990 V4s, Santa's season three offerings expands beyond the 990 series and delivering new colors of the Overlook classics like the 998 and 996. So I think this is the 998 and 996, right? I'm pretty sure this is one is 998 and 996 is probably that one. I'm pretty sure. So that's definitely the model that i need i'm not gonna lie about that one um when santos first took over the helmet new balance usa the million door founder focused heavily on the 990 v2s and 990 v3s this time around however later series entries namely the 990 v6s and the v4s are taking center stage dressing in bright um, spring appropriate colors enjoy a closer look at the season three made in usa collection ahead with a full release dates have yet to be discussed so they look fucking amazing but it doesn't end there because there's also fucking clothes it's not only that, there's also clothes included. This is courtesy of modern um, notoriety. They've got some additions here. So yeah, you've got the V4s. Look at, look at the clothes. There's also clothes involved. That's also pretty cool. That he's got the ability to kind of, you know, combine those amazing sneakers that he put together with a really cool little capsule collection of shoes that he's going to put together for New Balance also. Personally, I'm not the biggest fan of wearing like matchy, matchy, you know, sneaker with clothes type of shit. Personally, I'd rather just wear my own shit, but the stuff in here looks fucking great to be fair especially if you're looking to buy ami Leondor sort of products on the budget this is sort of like the best way to kind of get it right this is sort of like your um de facto diffusion line if you wanted to do so so you know loads of nice little um, vest tops and cool sweatshirts and jackets and shit really really cool vibe on everything included but for me for me it's the flipping shoes and those 998s i'm pretty sure or 998s or 996s are definitely high up on my list in terms of shoes that i want to buy especially these purple numbers here these plum numbers oof i think right the plum purple numbers are absolutely gorgeous these 998s are fucking my ones these ones on the front i would do ungodly things to get a pair of those in my collection i'm not going to lie i would do absolutely ungodly things to get a pair of those in my collection I'm not going to bloody lie. Anyway, moving on from that one, we've spoken about this, we've spoken about that. We're also going to speak a little bit about these. So, Jound have also re released or revealed an up and coming Ada Samba collection that they have that it was been rumored that they were going to do for a while, but we never really got any details about what they were going to look like. And I have to admit, they look really beautiful. I know the design is fairly you know uh there's nothing kind of crazy about them maybe people were expecting something a little bit more special and out there but i think considering john's aesthetic considering they're always a little bit more minimal in terms of how they approach their sneaker collaborations just everything they do in general and considering that justin saunders is also a stickler is also a huge fan of the samba anyway and i remember when i used to read um jound where they used to have the mood board blog and when we used to be on flipping blogspot that's how long ago i used to read it and i remember actually around that time i had a couple of pictures featured on flipping jound so big up justin saunders he found some of my pictures on my own tumblr and featured them on there but he's always been a fan of the samba you'd always see the samba kind of like you know, sp you know um, little around his mood board um blog back in the day on jound um, dot com and um the mo the kind of colorway you'd always see, see featured would always be the classic black and white always be the classic black and white so i know a lot of people out there are upset that it's not more out there but i personally still like them 
in my opinion, I also like them because they kind of remind me a little bit of a Bussinets. I think that's what he called them. It's an Adidas Bussinets SB with the kind of, it's got the football flap at the front, right? And I'm sure they're probably influenced by Sambas also. And I used to have a couple of pair of those. I used to skate in them as well, but they were incredibly hard to skate in because for me, the, the front of the toe was really pointy. And my toes are fat, so my feet will be squeezing at the front. But if I try to get a longer or a bigger size, my heel will slip out of the back. So I kind of had issues with that. Um, but I did enjoy the fact that for some reason on those Bussinets, they'd always have a gum sole. And I love the little um, bleed or the little kind of see-through you'd see happening with the stripes on the side running into the flipping gum sole. I love that. And I had that in a couple of my Bussinets that I have. So I love that he's kind of adopted and added that sort of feature. But then I also love just the materialing choice of it. Like, fair enough, it's kind of basic in the design, but the material choice is buff first you've got this sort of like brown brush suede um or brush nubuckle suede upper uh, in the first pair and it's sort of a little bit more if maybe the first one i, I say it's, it's i guess a bit more tonal you maybe say with like different kind of hues of brown and with this brush suede and you've got maybe a different type of suede on the stripes here on the side maybe this is a nubuck i'm not really too sure and then with the gums out gums gum outsole which was fucking crazy good but i think the finish on the black is really special Personally, the feeling on the back is special because this sort of heel tab here on the black and white pair with the jound written on the back of the heel tab and you've got this brown lining that kind of looks gold. It kind of reminds you of a pair of loafers. It kind of reminds you of a pair of... um. I forgot what they're called, like shoe holder things. That are like, sometimes you get them and you put them in like wooden, you know, your kind of like a hard sole shoes. It's like a gold or metal bit they use to kind of to keep the shoes form. They kind of remind me of that. They also kind of remind me a little bit weirdly of like Margella army sneakers. That sort of like just this section here at the back of the hill tab that kind of gives me all those sort of like memories and sort of like, you know, flashbacks of the shoes I've sort of worn over the years and whatnot. Maybe that was an inspiration. I'm not really too sure. But overall, I think it's a really great model. And also, I think because of the Samba's prevalence now and everyone wearing them, I still think that you would instantly know that this is a jound colorway because you can't find this mock-up. Again, it's quite basic, I know, but you won't be able to find a Samba on the market now like this with a gum sole, with this suede all over on the upper, um, with the white you know, heel tab, white straps on the side and black laces and the black sort of tongue it'd be like a switch it'd be like a white tongue a blue thing so even though this is a basic mock-up and a basic colorway execution i think the the genius is in how basic it is and how minimal it is because you can't find this colorway anywhere else which is why they kind of you know got him involved why he decided to choose it and obviously the hit at the back the little hit at the back with the gold on the flipping the hill tab i think is a fucking special so i'm definitely a fan of these i would wear these instantly um maybe it looks like with this jacket picture here there might be some clothing involved in it also but i feel like this looks absolutely gorgeous it looks absolutely great um it looks like it's a little bit of a the only issue i have this is like it looks like it's just um printed at the back which may be okay because i know some people like what wearing shoes with the printed logo on the back of the hill tab because over time it sort of like rubs out with natural wear as opposed to maybe having it kind of um embroidered which i would probably prefer way more because you still get a lot of that kind of wear and tear would come around on the edges of the letters but sometimes having the letters vinyl kind of peel off over time can add a different sort of element to the shoe over time as you're wearing them but 
to me they look gorgeous the le- the leather the leather finishing on it looks subtle, supple as fuck so they're going to be super soft and buttery um i wouldn't you don't you know what don't, don't be surprised if these are really expensive also i'm just thinking about it now they might be you know they might just be like incredibly incredibly high quality levers on the upper so they kind of look basic but the actual lever that they use might be some insane um, you know, I don't know, calf skin, pig skin, something like that that they're using because, you know, I don't think making a shoe with a leather insole, I just checked it here. So it's leather on the upper and also a, a leather, leather lining. That's not cheap. You know what I mean? It's going to cost an arm and a leg. So, and if you have, add on top of that, like a leather insole, it's going to be a lot of money. So don't be surprised if these are really, really expensive. But I do like them, you know, the shortened tongue and shit. And the colorway itself looks beautiful, especially the brown one. I think the brown one's actually a bit of a sleeper, to be fair. That nutmeg, that, that kind of camel suede brown color is fucking gorgeous. So can't wait for them to come out. No, no dates on it so far. I've, I've heard 2024 having browsed around on the internet for the Jound Ada Samba. So 2024 is obviously next year. So it's a long wait. Got a lot of times to fucking jack off the pictures before you actually get a pair. But still, I think they're beautiful nonetheless. I think they're beautiful nonetheless. Moving on, we've got an unfortunate account here to kind of feature courtesy of Deadline regarding legendary DJ Paul Oakenfeld, who's been accused um, of sexual harassment by an ex-personal assistant. I don't know what it is about DJings. I don't know what it is about that scene in general, where a lot of these accusations seem to kind of stem from. I'm, it, I know it's probably not just specific to DJs, but there must be something about nightlife, something about people, adults in that kind of scene, in a, you know, you know, somewhat. So people would maybe describe a CD. I don't think so, but there's probably something about that sort of industry overall, um, where maybe unfortunately, as much as I love it, it maybe is a kind of breeding ground for this type of shit because people are somewhat inebriated and shit. It's late at night. Um, there's a lot of kind of weird, um, idol complexes and hero worship when it comes to teachers and artists and whatnot and they sort of like walk on water around certain people and are allowed to kind of get away with murder so all that sort of stuff maybe creates a very toxic environment where a lot of this sort of stuff is rampant because this is not the first and not the last we're going to hear about these sort of things but funny enough actually oddly enough Paul Ogilford has actually replied you don't see that happening too often he's actually fired back and kind of said that you know this didn't happen but we're going to read the whole article this is courtesy of Deadline it says that A-lister DJ and Swordfish soundtrack, Swordfish soundtrack composer Paul Oakenfeld has been accused of sexual harassment and workplace violation by a former personal assistant. The lawsuit filed on Friday in LA Superior Court by an individual identified only as Jane Rowe, a 24-year-old woman. The plaintiff alleges that the two com- the two that two companies run by CEO Paul Stapanek, um, New Frequency Management and Stapanek Management, Oakenfeld and various John Doe's violated her employment rights. Seeking a variety of damages in excess of $25,000, the five-claim complainant um, declares that shortly after taking a job in October 2022, this is quite recent, the management companies, she was assigned to be um, Oakenfell's personal assistant for £20 an hour. Um, Jane Rowe worked out of the home of the Grammy-nominated DJ who has remixed such artists as U2, Madonna, Britney Spears and Rolling Stones. Um, hi, the article here. Let's continue. Starting on Jane Rowe's first day for a total of four separate dates, Okafeld allegedly exposed himself. <laughs> Holy shit. 
This guy's a psycho. Exposed himself and masturbated in front of her. On one day in November 2022, the DJ allegedly did so four times in a single day. Yo, I don't think I jack off four times in a single day by myself, let alone in front of somebody. He also allegedly once performed the act in her vehicle, according to the filing. After reporting the incident to management, the plaintiff said that she was presented with a non-disclosure agreement. Imagine the fucking cheek on somebody. Imagine the absolute cheek of someone to get out their little winker and wank in front of you when you don't want them to do that. You profusely tell them to stop. They continue to do so. You clearly tell them you're upset, that you don't want it to happen ever again. You're annoyed. You're pissed off. You're frustrated. You're shaking. And then they have the fucking gumption to pull out an NDA. <laughs> it's like, what? How about saying sorry? And how about fucking leave me alone? Right? How about that first? Um, she was allegedly prevented from returning to work when she did not sign it and was allegedly threatened with a firing. The filing from Beverly Hills firm Blackstone Law APC says that Jane Roe eventually signed the NDA under duress. She was allowed to return to work and was not assigned to Oakenfeld. So they moved her around like they moved fucking priests in the fucking Catholic church when they get done for fucking kiddie diddling. That is horrendous, man. Honestly, electronic music has a lot of inventory. The electronic music industry sorry, has a lot of fucking personal inventory it needs to kind of do over the years because this is wild. However, the plaintiff claimed that her hours were reduced and she was eventually laid off in March 2023 for what the court papers called a lack of work. Deadline has reached out to the Paul Stapnik and Paul for comment. So that's what she alleges, right? She alleges that he masturbated in front of her, um, what is it, more than four times. How many times he did this? Or for a total of four separate dates. And one time he did it four times. So that's number four. Four, four, four. That's how fucking Oakenfeld fucking rocks, isn't it? Four to the four, 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 wall to the wall, four to the four. Like, this guy is a fucking madman. But... According to Paul Oakenfeld, because, you know, you're innocent until proven guilty, he has released a statement via his Instagram account profusely denying it. Here's what he said. I want to address recent allegations of sexual harassment made against me. Let me be absolutely clear. I categorically deny any and all crimes of improper conduct, respect, integrity, consent of values I hold dear, and I have always treated everyone in my utmost professionalism. I thought he was about to say, I have a mum, I have a daughter, I have a sister. <laughs> my favorite artist is madonna i love women i would never do this and let's continue it's disheartening to see these baseless accusations which appear to be nothing more than a calculated attempt to tarnish my reputation and to extort money i'm committed to fully cooperating with any investigations to clear my name and will exhaust all legal remedies available including your option to counter sue He's coming out firing to protect my reputation and seek justice. Thank you for all your unwavering support and understanding during this challenging time. The funny thing about this, right? Because this, this is obviously kind of nasty and kind of, you know, involves, you know, some gross acts and kind of reminds you a little bit of like, you know, other occasions that this stuff has happened, you know, specifically the Louis C.K. stuff. The interesting thing about it is the fans. There's a lot of fans of Paul Oakenfold that are kind of like, you know, rallying around him and stuff and like saying, hey, we love you and shit in the comments. That's been an interesting thing to see it because even if I was a fan of Paul Oakenfold, which I'm not, don't really give a fuck about the guy. But if I was a fan, it would be something that would kind of take me aback and I have to make a decision. Oh, am I going to separate the, you know, the the art from the artist? And if that's the case, I'll just kind of enjoy the music and kind of keep it moving. Or if it disgusts me, 
I'll just kind of drop them all together. But the last thing I'll be doing is sort of like weighing in with my opinions on it, like the validity of the claims and whatnot in the fucking comments and standing up for the guys. Like, I th- this is probably why e- DJs have this crazy egos because the fans really, really suck them off like crazy. It's like, you don't know what's happened. You weren't there. The case is still ongoing. Like, just let it play out how it plays out and then say what you have to say. But the fucking sucking off on the comments, the fucking glazing here is absolutely wild. Look at this. Look at the first one here. We got, it isn't harassment because you wouldn't characterize it as such. I also like that you are willing to explore counter suing, um, someone who almost definitely has less than you. It's a sugar great. It's honestly, this person, I'm not going to click your profile, but I'm assuming they have nothing to do with Paul Orkenfeld. They're just sucking him off. And just like riding for him harder than he's even riding for himself in the fucking statement. He didn't even go as hard as they're going in a fucking comment. Anyway, continue. I also like that you're willing to explore countersuing someone who almost definitely has less than you. It's a super great way to show solidarity with your fellow basis accused superstar DJs while also sending a message to the other girls you jacket, you jacket in front of. So hold on. Is he, is he kind of, is he trolling or is he actually supporting? I'm not too sure. Weirdo. Another one. Wow. Do they want you to kill the culture? Look what happened to beloved Eric Murillo. I don't know. Again, that might be a troll. Another one says, played countless shows with you. Okay. This is a fellow artist. Um, over the past two decades and you've never been anything less than a true gent. Hope this is cleared up for you soon, Paul. This is something you don't see often when someone gets accused. If you really see women come out and like back somebody, the only thing I could kind of think of is the lady that fucking did, um, girls. When one of her friends or one of her fellow kind of colleagues in the industry, a writer or an actor was accused of some, you know, some sexual harassment shit. I remember her, Lena Dunham actually coming out and essentially, you know, victim blaming and victim shaming and she basically saying, yeah, I got my friends back. That bitch is lying. Fuck her. I can't think of many other times like somebody within the same field, like a fellow, like a peer especially a woman in that case would come out and say, no, nah, I'm supporting this guy. He was always nice to me. He never raped me. So he kind of done it. Like I've never heard that. So the fact that this woman is saying this, which looks like a woman, um, I guess by the avatar in the picture is kind of wild. Another person here, people have heard rumors about you or misconduct since 2001. Okay. It's never too late to look in woods and assume guilt, do inner work and be better. <laughs> I love how you have to assume guilt. How about if you don't done anything wrong? Assume guilt. It's like, what? But yeah. Okay. Cool. This person's saying, he's been a creep since 2001 imagine being a creep since 2001 that is wild i think i didn't even start djing then did i (laughs) this guy's been a creep longer than i've actually been a dj (laughs) anyway continue read several articles i'm wary of the timelines on the day one the retaliation from your managers i don't buy it you're a bold person but i don't think you're a bold you're that bold or stupid to ruin your lifetime career in the blink of an eye like that why do people yo this these guys are fighting for him way more than he's even fired for himself this is insane it sounds like an extortion operation given how accelerated the timelines are per the alleged incidents innocent until proven guilty i believe you'll be exonerated make an example out of this please the industry depends on you too this is has there been like a i don't think there's been a slew of like baseless claims against djs i think these people i don't know what they've been reading maybe i'm mistaken if if when i clip this up hopefully someone could tell me in the comments has there been like a slew of baseless claims against djs for sexual harassment and rape and shit i can't think of some 
um most of them have had some flipping weight and some sort of validity in flipping their accusations it's not just been some person looking for a fucking payday and how much of a payday are you really going to get out of fucking paul oakenfeld like let's be real do you know what i mean like <laughs> these guys are going to learn she's like amelie lens i know she's fucking pop i know he's really popular and legendary in his own right and does a lot of stuff outside of playing on stage and shit and blah 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 normies yeah yeah, yeah. but still it's paul oakenfeld let's be real Another person says, anyone that knows you personally, like I have, knows these allegations are absurd. I've seen nothing but professionalism and respect towards women from you. Over a decade of working together, this girl should end up in jail for extortion. Okay, maybe this person knows them, so that's fair. Another one says, so sorry it's happened to you. Anyone who knows you knows this is bullshit. Another one says, people that make false allegations should be held accountable. No one believes it, mate come to russia no sexual chasing only respecting <laughs> no what what does that even mean no sexual chasing so in russia what do you do you just like you just they just chop your dick off before you're about to start start a set or something <laughs> they give you one of those boxes with a padlock on it or we just stand there in fucking the military stance watching you fucking play um damn the me too folks out here trying to get oakenfeld too not but never seen something i've seen shakedown oh my god good for you for making the direct statement about this yeah um and everyone, as a woman we all have options to say no if any person should feel unsafe him or herself should not put themselves in that situation yo there are some women out there who are like saying if you got raped you shouldn't have wore that short skirt you should have walked across the park on the way home like yo i've always said this, this has always been one of my little like sayings right no one hates women more than other women yeah, the real no, no, sorry, that's not what my saying. I fucking forgot my own saying. That's a big L. The enemy of all women is other women, not men. That's my saying. It's fucking wordy and long, but the women of all women is not is not men. It's women. I said it wrong again there twice, but hey, doesn't matter. We move. <laughs> but yeah, this woman is fucking going crazy. We all have the option to say no, she says. If any person should feel unsafe, him or herself should not put themselves in situations. I find that when these types of things occur, the person to blame is the person that themselves there in the first place. This is probably someone trying to get the spotlight. It's definitely not going to be for long. I completely understand. Keep being yourself and stay strong. Don't waste energy in this nonsense. Keep creating. Keep living. Some people just have to nothing to do. Attorneys, some strive for baseless drama. Thank you for all your work and amazing music. Let's dance. Yo, insane, bro. In flipping insane. But yeah, Paul Oakenfeld said he didn't do it. The lady who got fired as a personal assistant said he did. The court case is, rum rum is rumbling on now. And I guess you have to wait and see what transpires and what the case is but this is a flipping wild situation and again feels like another situation in djing where for some reason some dudes i don't know i've never really understood that whole like public in front of somebody fucking masturbation thing anyway it's, it's a weird it's a weird kind of proclivity to have in the kink obviously i found out about it through the whole louis ck thing but I didn't even know that was a thing that people kind of got off on. Like having someone just stand there and watch you jack off is just bizarre to me. Um, you know, if you're not, if you're not glock glocking, then what's the point? You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, what's going on here? But I think, you know, everyone's got their things that they kind of do. But can you just imagine how harrowing it must be to be a PA, a fucking PA, minding your business, photocopying shit, making sure the guy's got his fucking passport, getting the coffees. And next thing you turn around, you got some fucking, 
you know, some Oompa Loompa looking dude jacking off in front of you and shit for pleasure. And you're meant to kind of like, what are you meant to do? Do you know what I mean? That's a weird thing, that kind of dynamic, that kind of, I won't say power dynamic, but that sort of like authority, clout, influence dynamic thing is bizarre in that world too because he's somebody that's looked at upon. You don't want to fucking, you know, have a bad reputation in the scene. You don't want to be looked upon as somebody that can't have fun or take themselves too seriously. I don't know. All these weird things are going to go into your head. It took you, you know, you worked really hard to get the job. You enjoy the job. You want to pursue a, a, you know, a career in the industry. You're kind of apprehensive about saying anything because it might fuck it up, which is fucking insane to say so. But I'm sure that's the case for some people. So I can't imagine what this person had to go through and how difficult it must have been to sort of navigate through that industry. But, you know, maybe maybe this court case will be an option for some respite. Maybe, maybe one can only hope. Moving on from that. I thought this is pretty awesome news, courtesy of Mixmag. It says Berlin introduces free and anonymous drug testing. How amazing is that? Free anonymous drug testing. I have to say, um, having been to Berlin many, many times and going there again very soon, I remember it being one of the only places that I went to where I went to party and shit where people did take an active interest into knowing where you got your drugs from. Um, whether the person was safe and trying to test it in some way. I remember the time when I went, people would have these sort of like blue strips that they'd use and shit. I don't know how they used them, but there was a somewhat of an emphasis on making sure that you bought stuff from a particular dealer or from a particular place to make sure that it was safe. No one was taking chances, just taking anything. Like the culture I'm kind of used to in, in London or in the UK is that sometimes you're in a nightclub and you find some shit on the floor and you just stick that shit up your nose or in your mouth. Like people are wild and they take fucking chances here. They don't care. But over there, I felt like people were very, you know, they kind of approached um, drug taking, like, you know, ordering a nice bottle of wine at a restaurant, right? <laughs> they were checking the prices next to the bottles, thinking about the things they've seen online, trying to say the French words in their heads. Like they're considering the fucking purchase. It wasn't just instantly, I need to get high. Here's 20 pounds for a couple of pills. I look like somebody made them in their kitchen. So I think this drug testing thing being legit and being something that's set up that you can actually go to is going to be amazing to use. Um, it continues here. It's cut to a mix mag. Let's get the article up on here. It says Berlin has officially launched a legal drug testing scheme. The Senate Department of Health announced a new scheme named Drug Checking, which carried out by the State Institute of Forensic and Social Medicine with free advice centers open. The drugs can be tested um, for their composition and purity, include cannabis, ecstasy, speed, and cocaine and LSD. All drugs I'd imagine you're going to see on the fucking dance floors of clubs. Um, people will get the results back on their drugs in three days after submission with results sent over to the appropriate counseling center. Employees of the centers explain the results can answer questions um, according to the RBRB with further consultations available and in the materials of the person preserved. Actually, rewind that going back three days after submission. Three days. That's a bit long, isn't it? You know, you kind of want your, you kind of want your adult goodies now. Having to wait three days before you find out if it's fucking drenched in fucking, um, what you call it? In fentanyl is a little bit too much. Like, give it to me now. Come on. If you can't give it to me now, what's the flipping point? You know what I mean? It continues. It says the aim of drug checking project is to minimize the risk of drug taking alongside detecting consumption and drug trends in Berlin. In our opinion, it says the drug check-in is successful if we can avoid damage to health. If we as drug, um, as drug help you reach users who would otherwise not be reached by a drug help or who would be reached much too late, says the pharmaceutical director of project Tibor Harak. It's going to be important, especially over there, because, you know, 
Berlin has a bizarre issue with fucking GHB. We have our issues too, but I think they're kind of gay, queer, alt, you know, LGBTQ plus scene is a little bit bigger than ours because it, for some reason, GHB seems to be a thing that's a big issue in the gay scene and queer scene more so than it's with the with everybody else. I don't really know why, but they have a big issue with it. People are addicted to it. They do it all the time. So maybe finding out if the stuff that you're taking is fucking bonk, it might make people actually like, you know what? I'm not going to do it as often now as it was before in the past. Maybe that might be an option. Um, it continues. It says, meanwhile, in Ireland, section of festivals are currently trying a drug testing in safe places. But yeah, awesome to see. Um, really, really great initiative. I hope we would have something here in the UK because we need it more than ever. I think we probably need it more than Berlin, to be fair, because the quality of drugs that we have here in the UK is fucking frightening. Frighteningly, frighteningly bad, horrendous. How bad the drugs are here. Um, the quality um, standards are all over the place. So we probably need this sort of initiative way more than they maybe need it over there. So people can know exactly what they're getting, what they're buying, um, you know, and kind of know what's fucking inside it. Because the stuff some people are getting that's being sold out there on the streets is absolutely horrifyingly horrible in my personal opinion but again you know what do i know what do i know let's move on from that one we spoke about that we spoke about this let's go here what spoke about? oh yeah let's move on from that i did this uh we got this news as well to cover actually let me see if i can get this up on the screen bear with me one second if i pull this up over here where is it? Got there, 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 there. Cool. There. So, this courtesy of news of RA. I'm fucking awesome and happy about this because I've got a pair of headphones already from this company, but I want another pair to wear on a daily basis. This is from RA. It says, Fonon is raising money to bring back its 440 headphones. A Kickstarter has surpassed 50% of its target in just four days. It says, um, the headphone and celebrated by DJs included Jeff Mills and Dixon at, at Arm, Lauren Garnier and Carl Craig, originally released in 2018, but were discontinued after two years, which is annoying because I legitimately think these headphones, um, are, you know, maybe with the exception of these classic Sennheisers, which I have here, are legitimately some of the best DJ headphones I've ever used in my entire life. And they actually double up well as monitors. But I've got a version um, that are the InnerVision version that I got, that I got as a gift, that are really expensive and I don't like using them every day because I feel like I might break them on shit. So I would prefer to get like a regular standard pair that I can actually use day to day for DJing and fucking around and shit. And the quality on these are incredibly like these are Japanese made and shit. Like just incredible sets of headphones. So I'd really, really, really want them. But I've been trying to find another pair for ages and they're impossible to find. I don't think they made many pairs, um, in the first place, clearly because they got discontinued and it's just difficult to kind of find people reselling them because I guess the people that did buy them were heads out myself and people just kept them and didn't want to sell them and shit so it's kind of a strain so this kickstarter is really good news um it's kind of referred to as the holy girl headphones it says all four four zeros are tuned by um iso kumano fonon's president and a leading mastering engineer in japan celebrate for a sound system designs the headphones are also an update version of the four thousands that resident advisor reviewed back in 2016 and are known for delivering clear but powerful bass with no muddiness which makes them ideal for clubs the kickstarter launched in may 20 28th um looking for a target of twenty six thousand. Six 
£679. Early bird backers who pledge about €127 Euros, um, will receive a pair of 440s if the campaign is successful, which is around 30% less than the retail price. The new 440s will slightly improve design, include the following, which is lighter and more durable than the originals. Other rewards are open as well. The Kickstarter has until June 28th to kind of go through. And this is a little video they have here from them. Let's actually re quickly refresh that to see if we can play the video here. But I really, really want a, another pair, man. I've been chasing and looking after another pair to kind of use day to day ever since I got given the gift I have now at the moment for the 4-4. I think I've got the 4-4-4-0s, which are the kind of special edition ones they did in collaborations. But if I can get another set to kind of wear day to day, I'd be all over it, mate. I'd be fucking all over it. So when I saw this Kickstarter, I was like, oh my God, this is such, such, such good news. Let's quickly play this video, courtesy of Fonan. Let's play this. Hope it works. Yes, it does. Is it playing? No sound? Okay. Look, it looks fucking beautiful, though. Yeah, I'm all, I'm all over them. They look fucking beautiful. And then there's the Kickstarter campaign itself here. Cursed website. Now, Kickstarter, I'm a little bit dubious on because I've worked for companies who have done Kickstarters and just, you know, fucked people over. Uh, <laughs> I've also heard of all the disaster stories about Kickstarter and shit. So I'm a little bit apprehensive to support it, but I think I may have to splurge and actually do the whole backing thing and get a pair, especially if I'm going to be able to pay 30, 30% 30 less than what the retail price is. Um, so that's going to be amazing to see. And they're already close to achieving their fucking goal anyway here, courtesy of the fucking Kickstarter campaign that I've got here on the screen. This is the re-release of the mobile hi-fi headphones, the Phonon 440. And so far, they've got 18 days to go and they've only got that little section left um, of the backing to kind of get that to their goal. So they're really kind of close to achieving it in all actuality which is absolutely great to see let's quickly load and wait here for the campaign to load up on my screen before we continue um the re-release of the phonons da, 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 da. it's got the specs on there technical specifications the product images uh what else has got here the specs of the headphones what they're going to look like because to me i like how minimal look the fact that you can kind of turn the cups as well is really handy so you can pack them very well um they you know easily foldable and packable into stuff and generally i feel like they're a happy medium because i feel like these you know head signers i love to wear them for the podcast and stuff from time to time but they're not the most comfy to wear day to day so i feel like i could wear these to dj and to also kind of run around town because i'm a big fan of using wide headphones day to day anyway um, I'm not really somebody that's going to be using Bluetooth all the time. It's quite nice to use your flipping wide one. So all these pictures of all the famous people wearing a pair of them. So I'm really, really anxious to get a new set if I'm able to back them. Yeah, so that's the ones I have. I have Mutant the Noise. Sorry, I don't individuals. I have Mutant the Noise pairs that I've got here at home. So if I can get a new one, I'm definitely, definitely going to be on it to get that flipping done. So if you want to support this also, um, definitely check this out. Um, they're already at 19,626 of a pledge goal of two twenty three thousand one hundred nine, um they've still got all the tiers that i guess you can support in terms of backing the project from buying the headphones and other little bits and bobs you can do as kickstarter usually has loads of tiers you can kind of check from to see which level of support you want for the product and then kind of go from there let me quickly check this up as it kind of loads on my end to see what the tiers have available here and what's kind of gone and what isn't gone 
they've got one, got one here called Stick Together. They've got another one, kid SMB03, 3% off, 20% off. They've got one for the early bird backers there as well. Okay, cool. It's got a decent amount there um, listed that you can kind of back and pledge to get a set there. Just check it out on the Kickstarter if you're that interested. And I'll put the link as well in the descriptions for those of you who care. But I'm really happy to hear that, man. I've been a big fan of fun on headphones ever since I had a pair myself. So I can't wait to be able to get a replacement and be able to use them day to day, day to day. Moving on from that, we've got this pretty cool news also I wanted to kind of end on courtesy of Resident Advisor. It's this campaign or this kind of project that they're working on called Make Space, which will run in collaboration with Corsica and Color Factory Soup NY, which basically is Resident Advisor's development program for up and coming promoters. And I think I may submit something for them. I think I may submit something for them. I've been speaking about this for a while about setting up you know and organizing a new party series selfishly to kind of allow myself to play in some of these clubs that I kind of party and go to often because I know unfortunately trying to go and play there myself individually with no clout and no kind of recognition and no ability to draw a crowd or sell tickets it's not going to happen so just the way it works unfortunately here in London you have to kind of build your own little community um, your own little thing and then maybe from there you can kind of use that to kind of leapfrog into other little different roles but if my main goal in the end is to become a professional DJ and have you know gigs myself and tour and stuff and play in these illustrious clubs I need to kind of restart the whole journey of promoting and putting on parties again which is difficult and hard and things have changed since I was last doing it so I think this will be a really good option to kind of refresh myself and kind of get involved on the grassroots level and obviously have that kind of um, development tutelage sort of thing happening with the support of a platform resident advisor and all the partners they have here so it looks like a really interesting scheme so i read it for you here it says here um running collaboration with the uk clubs corsica color factory soup the love in and wire club makes spaces a nationwide pilot program that will help equip five participants with a specialist knowledge for industry leading party starters the scheme will offer um, paid real world experience at some of the UK's best venues and provide participants with essential resources to help deliver music events. Designed to be an introduction to promoting and community building, make spaces open to anyone interested in putting on parties but unsure about where to start. As a means of redressing the balance of promoter demo, demo, sorry, demographics, make space will focus on prioritizing from those from underrepresented groups. No prior experience is required and applications are encouraged from groups that are currently underrepresented, including women, people of gender minorities people of global majority and participation from low socioeconomic backgrounds grants and travel bursaries will be provided to successful applicants that's fucking awesome um so imagine you're going to get a grant to put on an amazing event just imagine just imagine that's gonna be so sick and actually try some actual fun things for the event and actually try and you know create some special moments and stuff because obviously since i've been since i kind of got back from berlin and i went to that toy tonics party at flipping um what was it um oxy oxy club it legitimately inspired me to kind of start putting on events again like seeing that kind of vibe especially in a city like berlin seeing like that sort of like housey itello disco new disco type of vibe in a very techno forward city and seeing the amount of people that were there enjoying it loving every moment of it and the little community that they kind of created around their artists and the people that just attend their parties loads of hugs and kisses everywhere i was like you know what i need to get back into this man because the vibes were fucking 
immaculate. It says here, we're accurately aware of how, sorry, the person says, we are acutely aware of how difficult it is to access promoting parties in a meaningful way, especially in a small city with finite amounts of good spaces. So imagine a soup club. Promoting is mostly ephemeral because of the difficulty of being able to maintain the profession. But spaces like ours that have lasted over 10 years are kept going through the input of macro generational change, bringing the next wave of promoters through and helping to establish a foothold in the industry. London's Corsica Studios added, what's becoming increasingly apparent is a lack of diversity in promoters across the sector with a shortage of diverse promoters making inquiries about holding events this gets alarm bells ringing especially um if the demographic is overly represented um it's about identifying those gaps in the scene where there needs to be support and investment more information about the thing is here and deadline is actually on sunday the 11th oh shit i've got to get on it and more applicants will be contacted by June the 30th. So sun, application deadline is on Sunday, June 11th. If you're interested, check it out. Um, I'm definitely going to try and get involved and submit my proposal application to try and see if I can get involved in it because that'll be a great way to sort of get back into the scene and sort of have the ability to kind of, you know, work in conjunction with these places and see what it's like to promote there and be able to put on a special event. I cannot wait. I can not wait. Anyway, this has been the Action Zinger Show, episode number 680, I think. Thanks again for tuning in. If it's your first time checking out the show, I appreciate all of you that have been tuning in here. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, if you have enjoyed it, the live stream, then make sure that you leave me a five-star review via the podcast app. That'd be greatly appreciated. Just click whatever app you're listening to with this after the fact and just leave five stars. That'd be great. If you're watching a live stream, smash the like button down below. That'd be also appreciated. But apart from that, I've got no more to kind of add here. You're going to hear the tune of the day. If you listen to the audio side of the platform, um, playing underneath my voice now. If not, I'm just going to fade to black. You're not going to see me again. So thank you for tuning in. Big up the chat. I appreciate every one of you. And I'll see you guys again very, 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 very soon. Peace. Everybody used to say we were meant to be. I don't want to ever have to let you go. And that's all you ever really need to know.
Breaking down, y'all. Chicken chasing. Yeah. Yeah.